What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. <laughs> is that a song? Only, it is. It's the only part of the song that I know. What I th- song is that? I don't know. I think it's a Frank Sinatra. Happy holidays. I hear bells and like maybe some distant trumpets. Okay. Well, uh, I don't think I hit the correct <laughs> note. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, and listeners, happy holidays. Happy holidays. Whatever you're celebrating, if you do celebrate, and if you don't, happy December. Dress um, dress festive, dress warm. That's right. Put Get, some bows on your head. Yeah. Stick a... Stick a uh, a what do you call those mistletoe uh no i was gonna uh, what, what are the things you hang on a tree uh tinsel sure uh uh stick some tinsel up your ass no no oh. the, like the the little um the balls yeah what are those uh ornaments christmas stick ornaments? an ornament in your nipple ring <laughs> hole oh, that's a great idea i should hang one of my old nose ring holes. yeah yeah totally. <laughs> it just gets in your way during dinner um uh yeah so folks uh this is the last episode of the year uh what year it was and uh, we hope you enjoy this conversation that we have uh, coming up here with Dr. Tom. Uh, just a little housekeeping. We are going to uh, be putting up a couple of uh, throwback episodes um, over the holidays. I think it's just one day. Actually, just one. Yeah. Yep. The 28th. So next next week, uh, we'll we'll put a, an older episode up for you to listen to. And uh, we'll be back in the new year. I think January 4th, maybe, uh, is the date. We'll yep. be back with our regular scheduled programming. Absolutely. And so uh, 
Uh, as we take time off to enjoy family and holiday fun, we hope you also find some time to spend time with your family and, um, and hope that you all had a really, yeah, hopefully you don't need a too much escapism. Maybe hopefully you're listening to this like podcast in the new year because you're so busy with family that you didn't yeah. need to escape yeah. into murder podcasts or sex podcasts or, you know, whatever it is, your choice podcast about sick people. Um, <laughs> uh, so enjoy this conversation with Dr. Tom. We'll be back in the new year. We look forward to, uh, being in your ear holes uh, after after Christmas, after after New Year's. And um, uh, thanks for hanging out with us this year. Yeah, and actually, happy solstice, too, because this will be coming out right on December 21st, the shortest day of the year, the least light of the year. So uh, We hope it brings some extra light. Uh, yeah, so light some candles, because it's going to be dark. <laughs> All right, enjoy, folks. Hello, my loves. This week's guest is Dr. Thomas Murray. Uh, Dr. Tom is an international trainer, educator, and couple sex therapist. He's also the author of a new book called Making Nice with Naughty, an intimacy guide for the rule-following, organized, perfectionist, practical, and color color within the lines types. We chat with Dr. Tom this week about the pros and cons of being an over-controlled person and how that manifests in our sexual relationships. This was a totally delightful conversation and I'm really excited for you to hear it. We love you. Stay safe out there. Happy holidays. And we'll see you on the other side. I was going to say, I thought I was a perfectionist, but anyway, there we go. Okay. You thought you were. Interesting. I thought, I thought, yeah, but anyway, we can get, okay. we can get there. Well, I mean, yeah, like, um, well, I, I think this, this is probably a good, a good place to start. We're, we're sitting down today with uh, Dr. Tom Murray, <laughs> uh, the author of Making Nice with Naughty, an intimacy guide for the rule following organized perfectionist practical and color within the lines types. Um, and uh, we were saying before before we started recording here that uh, we did a little. I, I took a little quiz that was in the beginning of the book uh, to kind of get a sense of whether or not I happen to be one of those types. Uh, you know, the organized, the perfectionist, the practical. Mm -hmm. um, but I can tell you right now, I ain't that. That I that's that's not where I fall. Although you know, we score. I think I scored. Uh, Somewhere around like it was like thirty six on the side of you know being a little bit more impulsive and maybe yeah like you were like 15. you were double the amount of yeah. uncontrolled responses than you were controlled yeah. responses but there's some in there yeah there, I mean I think I think those types of things are it's always a spectrum we're always somewhere in you know we we have we have elements of of all of those things as a part <laughs> of our lives we might lean one way or, or another um, but before we get into because I, I am curious to kind of like break that down with Tom but before we get into it Tom thank you for joining us yes, today thank uh, you. please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners give us a bit of insight into who Dr. Tom Murray is well thank you so much for having me on the show I'm really delighted to be here um, I am the owner and director of a path to wellness in North Carolina uh, I'm a certified sex therapist and have a niche practice where I provide 
primarily sex and couples therapy. Mm. Uh, and over the course of the past uh, two, three years, um, doing focusing in that area, I began to uh, uh, see this pattern emerging in many of my uh, clients who presented with sexual problems uh, and through that uh, observation have developed strategies to support them and you know making nice with naughty and uh, that's what culminated in in this book cool very cool what like I I've I, we you know we talk to uh, sex therapists pretty often I, I I would say and one thing that I'm always curious about is um is mostly because I, I find the work so fascinating and I feel like in maybe in a, in a, in a future life or a past life, I either was, or would like to be in your shoes. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious about your origin story. What, what, how did you land up, uh, in, in the work that you do today? Yeah. I, you know, I think it's a, a multitude of factors. You know, the, the question that I often get asked is, uh, 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 why did I become a therapist in general? And I tell people that's because I had 18 years of apprenticeship, also known as childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and growing up in a family of, of dysfunction uh, uh, certainly played a part in it. And as a adult male survivor of childhood sexual abuse, you know, having that kind of exposure to, to that, you know, sexuality at a, at a young age um, also led to this if you will, a familiarity, um, which, you know, having conversations, even at a, even, you know, I would say as a teenager, I was having um, uh, conversations with adults about their sex lives that now I realize is quite inappropriate. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, having these, what felt like adult to adult, you know, conversations. Um, And, and then when I was in, in uh, university, I was taking a biology class and I was sharing with the, uh, uh, the, my professor that as an RA, as a resident advisor at the, at the university, uh, I found myself also having a lot of these conversations about uh, sexuality and relationships. And he said, you know, that's a, that's a real talent. You should just mm. do something with that. And so ultimately what that led to is uh, uh, going to graduate school and, and um, getting my master's and then my doctorate in couple and family therapy, and then um, ultimately doing the training um, in sex therapy. Mm, Very cool. That's a lot of school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's funny. It just occurred to me what you were talking about being an RA in university that it's like so funny that we can get to that age with like no sex education and then you get heaped off to university That's where right. you're just trying to learn your how to do your laundry for the first time by yourself some of us and uh yeah. and you don't you, you don't know how to have these like you do, like it's i can imagine what a mountain to 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 get over in in especially i would say would would you say like it, when you were counseling those folks in your university was it predominantly male male is that we're coming to you for advice or were females also coming to you? Oh, yes. Well, I had, I, do you remember Alec McBeal? Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, you know, in Alec McBeal, they had the co-ed bathroom. Mm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So in 1995, <laughs> when I was uh, went to university and I became an RA in 1996, the hall that I was an RA in instituted co-ed bathrooms. And so we were in a dorm that was pre- at that time was predominantly female. In fact, 
this, uh, uh, um, I think there were 700 people in the building and we, Whoa. and the men just had one wing, <laughs> one floor and one wing. And, and so all of these other uh, 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 floors, they ended up developing these co-ed bathrooms so that people could have people stay over uh, uh, and uh -huh. opposite and gender stay over. And so that experience was transformative. Right. Um, uh, I understand now they've kind of reversed course, unfortunately, uh, but it ended up ha me having a lot of conversations with with women um, uh, during my time as a RA, and then as a uh, we had what was called a senior RA, and uh, then at the University of Florida, I uh, was a hall director, and so having you know just the exposure uh, throughout all of that time um, with all kinds of people uh, really shaped my my views of uh, helping and human sexuality and so mm. yeah all over the place i one thing that i that i'm i i kind of wonder i i feel like i feel like the realm of like sex therapy there, there's like a lot of there's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of lanes that you can go down to kind of like hyper focus on mm. um and and I always, I always wonder, like how how people decide to choose which kind of route to go, um, and and I feel like for the for the most part, it's usually probably a, a rather like organic choice. Um, <laughs> but what like what was the the sort of trajectory of your of your um, your practice in like once you got into uh, specializing in sex therapy, like what? what decisions led to you to lean into the the specific sort of like avenues that you were focusing in on in that practice? Well, I'm the only certified sex therapist in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is about a three, 300,000 wow. uh, people. And so as a kind of default, I tend to be more of a generalist. Right. Uh, I think though my gender, uh, uh, is a factor in how many women come to see me, particularly if a woman has uh, vaginismus or dyspareunia, um, they may feel more comfortable talking to another female provider. Um, although certainly I've treated those conditions. Uh, then, uh, but as a, as, as a, uh, the only provider uh, uh, for a long time, in a large city, it does mm. kind of necessitate that I be a generalist. But the most common uh, presenting problem for for a lot of patients to sex therapists is low sexual desire. Mm. So you know you just see that over and over and over again. And and historically we've we've um, uh, defaulted that low sexual desire is is a is a hormonal issue and then we then i think you know certainly the science to date is is that it's much more complicated than just simply hormones and so uh as a as a, a therapist who's also trained specifically in couples therapy i bring that added element which i think makes me rather unique where mm -hmm. a lot of therapists may be trained as individual therapists and don't have that relational component so 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 integrated into their philosophy uh, uh, as a as a sex therapist who also is a couples therapist that, that it means that I can provide a much more comprehensive um, service or care plan. Mm -hmm. I, you know, when Jeremy was asking that question, I 
I was thinking about how, from what I've read of the book so far, the the sort of niche that the book covers seems to be very personal. And so oh, yes, yeah. that I was wondering, you know, if that's how, yeah. So how did, how, how did, you know, when you're in your practice, I'm assuming you're giving, you know, you've got your whole body and lifetime of knowledge and experience, mm. but you're listening to the people in front of you and you're taking, mm. you, you know, you're, I would assume for the most part, trying to, I don't know, like maybe be in their shoes or see things from, you know, from your perspective, but without too much of your own, um, I guess, like. Biases. Yeah. Mm. But, but, but you've written a book about helping people who have the same issue that you have found, or, or maybe you don't, you wouldn't qualify it as an issue. Maybe the same sort of like behavioral patterns or, personality traits um and how did that reveal itself through the through your sessions through your work like what was it about oh I what what was it about that that was like mm, I actually need to put myself at the at the at the forefront of this um examination to yeah that's a that's a great question so uh, the, in general, making nice with naughty takes a, takes a, uh, 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 applies this concept of temperament, specifically the over-controlled, under-controlled temperament. And temperaments are neither good nor bad, right? They're just stable parts of your personality that show up in the world. And so people either lean under-controlled, that is, they tend to be mood-oriented, or people lean over-controlled, that is, they tend to be rule-oriented. And what we find is therapists in general lean over-controlled, hmm. right? So, um, and, and, and people who tend to go to graduate school tend to lean over-controlled. That ability hmm. to follow uh, particular steps, plan, be planful, uh, uh, be concerned about doing the right thing, you know, the, the, all those kinds of uh, uh, aspects of, of the over-controlled temperament. And like all temperaments, they can be mild or they can even go into the maladaptive, mm. right? So the over-controlled temperament, by and large, is seen as a virtue in society. Yeah, yeah. Self-control right? equals, you know, success. prosperity, success. Yeah, totally. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and, uh, uh, and, and, I admire many under-controlled people. Their ability to have fun, getting on the dance floor, they don't need a drink. They just get up there and they're they're letting loose. They're, yeah. They tend to be, you know, very excitable. You know, they're very captivating in that kind of way. Um, I just am not that, right? I tend to be much more uh, uh, conservative, if you will, with my energies, not mm -hmm. politically, but, you know, very conservative <laughs> with my energies. Um, and, and that's very consistent with therapists in general. So what, what I found, uh, this is back in the fall of 2020, I was doing couples therapy, uh, uh, and, and with, a, with a couple who also had sex problems. And I had a light bulb moment that I bet I could predict the quality of a couple's sex life by asking just one question. Are you a be careful parent? Or are you a have fun parent? Mm. 
Mm. So when you imagine your child being on the playground, wanting to take some risks, is your, your inclination to be shouting, be careful, be careful, right? Or is your inclination to be, have fun. You know, if something happens, I'm, I trust we'll take care of it. You know, mm. so this, this, this encouragement of, of freedom, uh, of, of adventure, um, or is it this, oh, 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 gotta, 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 gotta be hypervigilant to, to uh, potential injury, right? And what I found is those who tend to be that be careful parent also tended to more likely have sexual problems in their relationship. Interesting. Interesting. So, so yeah. So like what, why, why, like, what is, what are the, what are the, the sort of areas where like, why would someone who is, is kind of like rule oriented and, and, you know, you know, seemingly logical and, and, and planful, like, why is it that that person likely is, is dealing with um, issues in their intimate relationships and their sex life? Um, is it, be, it, it that like, I mean, maybe this is, uh, I'm kind of like guessing here, but it does, <laughs> does there, is shame involved in this in some way? Like when it comes to, because, you know, we look at sex as like a taboo, uh, you know, come to kind of to the a nod to the title of the book. Like it's a naughty thing. It's a bad right. thing. It goes against the, you know, a lot of us who were grown up, uh, a lot of us grown up have been taught, you know, that we, I mean, we recently just did an episode about like abstinence based education surrounding sexuality back especially back in like the the 80s and 90s so like coming up in that time being kind of nailed into your head sex is bad you're gonna get an std you're gonna get someone pregnant an unwanted pregnancy like these things reinforcing that idea that like sex is against the rules and so there that leads to some internal conflict about how you communicate about sex like is that is that sort of why this is at least what you think, why this is the reason for people who are, you know, more self-controlled seem to have these issues when it comes to their sex life? It certainly can manifest in that way. It can manifest in a, in, in a variety of sure. ways. And I, sure. and I, in the book, what I, what I really endeavored to do was to demonstrate the varieties of ways that this can show up. Um, and, and certainly one of those uh, ways is like you described, because over-controlled people tend to have a high degree of moral superiority or moral uh, certitude. And so if they grew up in a highly religious environment and were also over-controlled, sometimes that religious environment can supercharge that over-controlled temperament. Because over-controlled people tend to be rule-oriented and, and they want to be seen as as um, good, right? And and so they they're told you follow the rules, you'll be good. Um, uh, what an, an aspect that I find is that over-controlled people with sexual problems suffer what's called what what I call sexual perfectionism. Uh. And and there are four types of sexual perfectionism. There's the I have to be sexually perfect. My partner has to be sexually perfect. Huh. I think my partner thinks I have to be sexually perfect. And society expects me to be sexually perfect. So if I'm an over-controlled person and I think I have to be sexually perfect, that may mean that um, uh, uh, it's intolerable that I might lose an erection during sex. Yeah. Right? Because that then would 
would uh, uh, communicate my worthiness as a sexual partner, or my partner has to be sexually perfect, where you know, I have this rule that every time I want to have sex, my partner should also want to have sex. Yeah. But you can imagine how that can interfere with intimacy, right? Or I think my partner thinks I have to be sexually perfect. So if I'm a woman and I think, oh, I don't have a porn pussy or I don't have perfect breasts, mm. right? And that that that's going to be a problem for my partner, how that might impede my desire. Or lastly, uh, society expects me to be sexually perfect. So for a lot of men, for example, we're domesticated to to believe that we should know everything there is to know about sex right out of the gate. And as a consequence, men hardly ever read anything about sex and sexuality, because to read it would to prove you don't know anything. Yeah, right. Whereas women, on the <laughs> other hand, sex and sexuality is is much more integrated in their their um, maturation just but because they they develop menses, right? They have a period and they have to go to the gynecologist and it's much more integrated into their development than it is for, for men. And so yeah. to underscore, uh, it can show up differently for different people, uh, uh, but there are these overarching uh, uh, commonalities. So interesting. It, like, does there, does there, um, is there a correlation? I, I know how earlier I was kind of I was kind of mentioning like oh, it seems like there's like there must be sh you know, shame attached to this or like shame must play a role here. But after hearing you say that, I'm wondering like how I'm wondering how vulnerability kind of plays a role within this. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I know that I like you know as a as a male who grew up in you know the east coast of Canada from a family of a bunch of Newfoundlanders like. Rural, I, New, rural Newfoundland. I mean, it's all rural. I mean just everything is fucking rural right here. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's not that it was beat into my head, but just like just just through seeing the interactions that I like, you know, thinking about the interactions that I had as a child around friends, friends, families, um, and the time that I grew up. You know, I feel like inadvertently I was taught that vulnerability is a sign of weakness, which I, which I think is, you know, absolute bullshit. I don't, I don't, I don't buy that. Um, but it was, it was kind of nailed into my head that it was. Um, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it took me until, you know, until, until I was an adult that I realized it was quite the opposite. But I, I like can imagine. Last week in therapy. <laughs> Come on, no. <laughs> it's been a little longer than that, but yes. Um, uh, uh, but I, but yes. Yeah, so, so hearing you say that, it kind of makes me wonder. Like, oh yeah, I, what, like, is there? Do people who do do you, have you noticed that people that are more self-controlled tend to be less, um, less apt to lean into vulnerability? Yes, and in fact, I talk about that throughout the book. Right, hmm. that vulnerability. Um, it, what's what's a close cousin of vulnerability is certainty, right? Mm. Or or uncertainty, and uncertainty uh, is is uh, kind of like the kryptonite for yes. people who are over controlled, right? So the more over controlled you are, the more you're wanting certainty, you see, and and when and because because you don't want to feel the vulnerability, you feel in the uncertainty. Mm. Right. But what we know is that vulnerability is an essential 
component to connection. And connection is essential to intimacy. But in order to have the vulnerability, you must have um, courage, right? Courage is taking action despite the fear that you feel. And then, of course, preceding courage must be fear, right? You have to have fear to have courage. You have to have courage to have vulnerability. You have to have vulnerability to have connection. You have to have connection to have intimacy. So mm-hmm. couples will often come in and it's like, we, you know, we're just not intimate anymore. We, we just want to be more intimate as if they can jump all of those other steps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, for example, had a couple today. They have never masturbated in front of each other. Okay. And for a lot of people to masturbate in front of your partner is incredibly vulnerable. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Because of all of that social, uh, you said uh, taboo, as sex therapists, we call it taboobie, right? All of those uh, taboobies uh, are, <laughs> are impediments to um, uh, uh, of having vulnerability. Yeah. Right. But what we know is that couples who are able to masturbate in front of each other tend to report better sex lives. What about couples that are willing to fart in front of each other? I don't I'm not into that. Come on, Brian. It's it's no, fine. It's I natural. Like it. I know. I just don't like it. It's fine. well, you know, it's I'm very you... self-controlled. Oh, right. please. It, please add to this. Yes. I'm so <laughs> curious to hear what you think. Uh, uh, I, I strongly discourage people farting in front of each other. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. And thank the reason- you. Oh my, oh, my girlfriend. My girlfriend's listening to this going, thank fuck. Yeah, <laughs> I can't and, wait and, to tell Todd. And the reason is, is because you're you're wanting to remove any impediments to sexual arousal. If you if you're interested <laughs> right, right, right. in having sex. So yes, if you're right. invested in having sex with your partner, then that includes not doing anything that makes it harder for them to want to be sexual with you. Yeah. And if they're giving you feedback that farting in front of them makes you less attractive, then the over-controlled person would be like, well, I don't, that, you know, this is my house. And this is a, my rule is that I should be able to do that because, you know, that's just the, the, the right that I have, (laughs) right? (laughs) Which by the way, uh, parenthetically, uh, over-controlled people, there are two subtypes that I do not mention in the book. And after I wrote it, I was like, fuck. Am I allowed to say fuck? Oh, yeah. fuck. Absolutely uh, you know, not. Yeah. You know, fuck. I wish I would have I would have mentioned this. So the two subtypes of the overcontrolled is the overly agreeable and the overly disagreeable. So the oh. overly Uh-oh. agreeable subtype is the I have to be liked. Right. And the overly disagreeable is I have to be right. Mm. Oh. So you can see how that overly disagreeable subtype is the one who says i should be able to part in in my house and you should <laughs> accept it because it's natural right you should not have to let that be something that gets in the way of you wanting to have sex with me right well so both can be true yes it is natural and it's a way to communicate to your partner that i hold you in such high esteem that i'm going to respect you in a way of taking care of that uh, uh, privately, although, you know, it happens and, yeah. and you, and you release and that's, that is the case, but not this intentional lifting the ass cheek, you know, and, uh, <laughs> don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> I mean, uh, look, I'm going to agree to disagree here. Okay. Dr. Tom, <laughs> I, I like to, for me, it's a filter thing, right? I'm filtering out 
whether or not this person truly wants to. Oh, okay. no, no, I'm, I'm just, right, I'm just right. playing. But uh, well, I, I do. Let me. Just, <laughs> it's a great let point. Just, <laughs> let me add there that overcontrolled people have a tendency to discount critical feedback. Totally. Yes. Right. So, yes. so I'm beginning to question whether you took my assessment correctly. <laughs> Look, it's a spectrum, right? No, I, 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 uh, I, I actually, I mean, I, I, I feel now I feel like I have to like explain myself. I really, I don't, but I, I, my, I actually, I'm a gassy guy. I'm a gassy boy. And uh, he has a short colon. Uh, yeah, I do. And, and my, uh, my partner, actually, my, my partner did the other day, uh, was just like, Ew, don't. And so now I, I do, I, I step out of the room now, but it's now it's, now it's just become comical because I step out of the room so much that she's like, Jesus, like maybe just, Maybe yeah. just leave it. Like you're, you're just walking out so much. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. I should. Um, I uh, one thing that I that I am kind of curious about um, is you know, when it when it comes to when it comes to the book. I mean, I feel like you know, based on what we're talking about here, it feels like the book is very specifically for someone who would fall into the category of of over controlled. But I can imagine that, you know, oftentimes when you, maybe even in your practice, when you um, meet couples that come in and they have this issue, there's, there's very likely a high chance that oftentimes there's like one person in the, in the relationship is over-controlled, one is under-controlled. Or, or, do, or do... Do opposites attract? Do I, yeah, yeah. Or do, or do, or do over-controlled folks like to, like, kind of like this, keep it in the family and, and stick together? Um, is it, is it something that you see? It's like, usually it's one person is more over-controlled than the other. And that's where the issue is coming into play. Well, as the old adages go, you know, people tend to be either birds of a feather or opposites attract. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and, and we could diverge into evolutionary psychology of why those two mating strategies are so prevalent, right. And one not being better than the other, but they have their own set of advantages, disadvantages. So a lot of times the opposites attract is the, I love the, if I'm an over-controlled person, I love kind of the the vitality that the under-controlled person brings to my life. Yeah. Right. I love that. What we find though, over time, each other begins to view each other as a big pain in the ass, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. the, the, the under-controlled person wants to go out to the club, wants to have fun with friends and the over-controlled person is like, oh my God, I just want some time alone. Mm. Or uh, uh, if, they're, if they're birds of a feather, usually the person who is more over-controlled tends to view the person who is less over-controlled as being under-controlled because over-controlled people, the more over-controlled you are, the higher the standards you tend to have of yourself and others. And so anybody who has, who are showing up in ways that are, are not meeting the high standards that you have, the person may inadvertently label them as under-controlled when in fact, they're just less over-controlled. Interesting. Interesting. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I know you said that neither are bad, but mm-hmm. but I can only imagine what it looks like for either of the extreme ends mm-hmm. of this. Um, and because neither of these things are bad, perhaps we aren't going to be overly um, oriented on fixing anything or changing ourselves in um, in therapy so that we can be in better relationship to each other but we must have to right like if we're really extreme how do we meet that's exactly right so that you 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 put the right word out there which is we're talking about maladaptive levels right so under controlled over controlled by and large for most people it's just their their ways of being in the world but there are uh, uh, there's a, a space on that continuum where you enter into the maladaptive, mm. right? So on the under-controlled side, the maladaptive uh, extremes would be things like uh, borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality, narcissistic personality, maybe ADHD at the very far end. At the very far end of the over-controlled temperament, you would have things like anorexia, obsessive-compulsive personality mm. disorder, schizoid personality, paranoid personality. Those would be the. At the those would be. Uh, oh, I didn't mention the the most common is obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. Mm-hmm. I didn't mention that one. So that's at the very far end of the extreme. The the where this book is is touching on. Of course, it's for the extreme too, but it's for the revelation for those who who just feel innately that something is missing in their sexual and intimate relationships. And, and I'm proposing that for a significant subset of those people, it may be that the over-controlled temperament is playing a factor because of the fear of vulnerability mm. right, that we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of, I need to know uh, what's going to happen? Or, you know, an orgasm, for example, is literally the total loss of control, mm-hmm. right? But if you're very control-oriented, you can see how that impairs one's ability to have an orgasm 
or even to have a, a rapid ejaculation or to um, have painful sex because you're just so concerned about what's happening or low sexual desire because you're your 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 mind is 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 focused on all of those other tasks that have to be done and 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 so uh, um helping the the reader see that while these uh, uh traits are highly valued out there in the world mm -hmm. they can become an impediment within a within domains that do require vulnerability again mm. namely in our sexual and intimate relationships so, I, I mean, to that point, then, I can imagine, you know, again, because society society deems self-control is like a, a virtue, um, you know, if you're somebody who is, who tends to be over-controlled, but you're finding that your intimate relationships, your, your sexual relationships are, are straining because of this, you don't necessarily want to you know, try to chip away to all, all of a sudden become uh, someone who's under-controlled. You don't want to change who you are at the core of who you are. Not that you probably even have a choice um, to be able to change yourself that way anyway. So what are some, of, what are some like um, uh, examples of, of things that people can do who tend to fall into that, that spectrum of over-controlled where it is becoming a part of their, it, it's becoming a, a problem within their sexual relationship. Um, so that they can, you know, maintain that, that virtuous over-controlled state in the outside of the bedroom, but inside of the bedroom, how can they, how can they loosen up a little bit more? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to the, one of the first things that you said to underscore, there is not enough drugs or therapy in the world that's going to make me under control. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't want to be under controlled. I admire under controlled people for, again, the things that I've described. Right. But I'm never going to be under controlled. Mm -hmm. But I can learn to turn down the volume on my uh, over controlledness so that I can have more meaningful and fulfilling relationships. So, for example, yeah. uh, I have two teenage sons. And uh, I've been on this journey uh, really over uh, the past, uh, I'd say, five years, uh, more, better understanding the role that this particular temperament has in my, my life. And uh, I re recall one time my youngest um, was playing soccer. And about a half hour before we had to leave to the soccer game, you know, I do the thing where I say, okay, we're going to have to leave in about 30 minutes. Make sure your stuff's around. And then 15 minutes goes by and I realize the stuff isn't around. Uh, uh, then I'm like, you know, giving the next 15 minute warning and then the 10 minute, the five minute. And now it's time to go. And he's like, where are my socks? Mm -hmm. And so I blow my gasket, <laughs> right? Which on the surface appears over control or under controlled, right? To, to lose your emotion right. appears under controlled, but uh, 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 closer scrutiny, you see that I tried for a long period of time to take care of business, right? To 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 mitigate uh, uh, problems by reminding them, but then because it wasn't done, I had what we call emotional leakage, right? right? right. I had this this moment, and and so I uh, it was a pivotal uh, moment for me because I uh, based on what I had. Uh, realized, I asked myself a, an important question. What is the rule that I think is being broken? 
what is the rule that I think is being broken that I have established for myself that was the fuel for the, the, the emotional leakage? And the rule is people cannot see me as a bad parent. It's unacceptable for people to see me as a bad parent, to be showing up late to the soccer field, mm -hmm. right? And so that, that rule and the urgency to, to, to meet other people's expectation because of that social comparison that a lot of over-controlled people have in, in, in impaired or, or uh, hurt my relationship with my son. Mm. You see? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so uh, self-inquiry is one of the strategies that over-controlled people can do use is to simply ask themselves, what when they're upset, what is the rule that I think is being broken? Right. Mm. And who do I want to be in this context? So uh, uh, another example is I've routinely have found over controlled people, uh, even when they're horny. Right? Even when they're horny, they will not pursue their partner sexually if they believe that their partner had engaged in some kind of relationship faux pas or you know that they they mm. did something that that was irritating that the the overcontrolled person doesn't want to inadvertently reinforce what they believe as bad behavior <laughs> by pursuing them sexually right well inquiry goes you know if one goes into inquiry they, they realize oh why am i denying myself sexual pleasure just to prove a point so that they yes just to <laughs> prove a point so I'm going to instead have fun. Mm. I'm going to uh, engage my partner sexually because I want to have fun, independent of what they do. Mm. That's like just that. one one of the strategies that I cover in the book. Mm. Interesting. Something you just mentioned there about how you know you had emotional leakage, which I feel like I can be quite I can be emotionally quite leaky sometimes, <laughs> um, but. But taking it back slightly to that overly agreeable and overly disagreeable, yeah. I feel like um, I if if you know if I'm anywhere on this um, over controlled spectrum, it might be in the overly agreeable um, trait, which is just like I can imagine getting to that emotionally leaky place if I have been like kind of putting my own. Uh, desires or needs aside and going along with the flow for a while and like trying to, you know, do these nice acts of service for the person that I care about and it's not getting recognized and it's not getting recognized. And then, and then suddenly I'm infuriated and right. I don't know, you know, I don't like, I, and I've, and I've considered that particular habit of mine um, through different lenses, like most recently through like dismissive uh, uh, attachment styles, um, not having, not ha having sort of no boundaries. And then suddenly like my boundaries Ooh. are being crossed, you know, that kind of thing. But that is a really, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the overly agreeable, um, over controlled personality types because, because, um, because I, th the, the overly controlled and disagreeable seems very, I don't know, straightforward. Like I, I get that. It's like, right. I'm the rule follower Yeah. and you can't, you can't tell me what to do. I have my own moral code. Do you, I know, I know these are frameworks and, and, and not one of them is going to describe a person in their entirety, but is there some overlap there with, with attachment styles that you 
I hadn't really uh, uh, considered it. Um, what I know and talk about in the book is is this concept of this of self-aside, committing self-aside, hmm. and um, uh, you know, of course, for good reason. We tend to give a lot of emphasis to suicide, and 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 no emphasis, I think, is given to the reality that on a daily basis, people are committing self-aside, which is this what I call this cleaving away of important parts of oneself in order to go along to get along, mm. right? And and that overly agreeable, just doing it to placate the other person who who's who's may may get anxious or may get angry, and so you're just going along to get along. That that um, uh, 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 kills that spirit that fuels. Um, one sexuality, right? Autonomy, individuality is an important part of that. And I think, you know, in terms of gender, uh, overly agreeable tends to be uh, more, uh, women tend to be more overly agreeable because of how women are domesticated versus mm. men tend to be more disagreeable. Uh, society allows, uh, uh, permits men to, to do that more often, although that's not exclusive. Uh, and and so for a lot of women, you know, they wake up uh, uh, having just continuously cleaved away these important parts of themselves and really feeling no sense of vitality, no sense of aliveness, and naturally are resentful of it. But uh, and they don't realize that resentment is a beautiful emotion. Mm. Resentment is beautiful, but often misinterpreted. Resentment people have in their have in mind is that i'm resentful for the other towards the other person but resentment only happens when you have done something that violates your own boundaries you've said yes instead of saying no for example and so it's really feedback to oneself oh i'm doing something where i may be violating my own integrity mm. and so the antidote to self-aside is self-fullness, right? Self-fullness, which is this recognition of I have a place on this planet. I have my own needs, wants, desires, hopes, dreams. They're just as valid as anybody else, and I'm going to actively pursue them. Mm -hmm. mm. I could totally understand why that would cause a lack of vitality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is, there, is there, you know, say someone's listening to this right now, and they seem pretty confident that they're the under controlled in their, in their relationship, but their partner, they're thinking, I have a feeling they're pretty over controlled and I can see, you know, a lot of the conversation here is resonating with me. Are there, are there things that you, that you either talk about in the book or that you know of that, you know, the partner who is on the opposite side of the spectrum are there tools for them or things that they can do to aid their over-controlled partners in finding some sort of more, you know, more healthy space for them to exist in? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when there is that, that, that differential there, a uh, strategy that I take and talk about in this book, in the book is cultivating uh, or, or identifying what your shared values are. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, uh, I would uh, I would have that conversation with the over-controlled person of, of 
uh, what what does sexuality look like for you? How important is it for you to have a sexual relationship with your partner, right? Um, how important is for you to have a long-term, meaningful and fulfilling sex life with your partner? Well, that re that requires um, uh, certain characteristics. So, for example, what we know is that monogamy, uh, 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 as an institution, degrades desire over time. Right? It degrades desire right. over time, right. and and in part because of the lack of competition. Right, it's the this ex, it's implicit expectation that when you leave the house, you turn off your sexuality. You fart right? in and, front of them. It's 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 totally cool. Yeah. Right. Well, that's exactly. <laughs> and so, and, and and typically, people who are over controlled tend to lean towards monogamy because it's predictable. Mm. Right. Remember earlier, I talked about the fear of uncertainty of over-controlled people. Well, what they end up doing is creating what's called pseudo-certainty, right? Pseudo-certainty uh, so that they don't have to feel the vulnerability of the mystery. And yet, what do we know about desire? It requires mystery, mm -hmm. right? It requires mystery. So ironically, when you fart in front of your partner, for example, you're fueling familiarity. Mm -hmm, right you're, mm -hmm. you're there's no mystery you're you're, right. you're fueling this kinds of uh, uh 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 this this um uh this level of closeness that can be maladaptive in the context of uh, uh relationships that are that are meaningful and fulfilling right 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 i was thinking too about like that no competition and when you leave your house your sexuality is switched off and you know, like, um, there are so many, uh, consequences of going out and, um, being your authentic sexual self in the world, especially mm. probably for female presenting people, maybe, maybe more, or, um, folks who don't identify as like heterosexual, especially, um, like there's a safety issue, you know, maybe societally, but also like, I, I think, I expect that my partner would not want me to go out and flirt with people or like just be casually, you know, flirtatious. And because I dial that down, I turn that down because when I'm not in a relationship, I'm extremely flirtatious and, you know, I would say more social, probably more charismatic, but I was thinking about this the other day because I, I, I don't really go out to bars and stuff. And largely it's because in my mind, I, I would go to a bar to be hot and like chase boys. Like that's why I go out at like, that's why I would go out drinking, you know, at, at 18, 19 years old. And I just like, so I don't really like, I'm like, who, why, who am I dressing up for? Like, what's the, and so I've turned, turned down the dial on my own sexuality so much that like at, I don't even know if it's really there at home either. Mm. Right, right, mm. and I'm I'm glad you brought up this uh, this uh, uh, this idea that I think I inadvertently put forward in in that you have to make the competition actually be uh, people out there, right? Because sometimes it can just be in here. Yeah. So if mm. you're if you if you decide I'm going to wear sexy uh, uh, underwear underneath my outfit. And I know, and I feel sexy, right? And and the the I the the competition can be the 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 
less sexual person you were yesterday. Right. Right. So they can be, how can I be more sexual than I was yesterday to, for my partner? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that can be what's driving you throughout the day where, you, you know, maybe you're sending your partner sexy text messages, right. Uh, uh, or sending your partner, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, nude pictures. Right. Mm-hmm. But don't make my mistake. One time my partner sent me a, <laughs> a, 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 a topless picture. And as an over controlled person, I look at it. And of course, I'm working. I look at, oh, that's nice. And I put my phone down. <laughs> and yeah, I right. went back to work. And she, and she, she responds with the, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you want to make sure I never send you a topless picture again, make sure you don't respond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Just put the phone down. You know, I'm going to share this with you and I've brought it up on the podcast before, but I used to have this thing uh, where if I felt that my partner had a crush on someone, I would, when we were having sex, imagine myself as that person, Yes. but I would never tell my partner. Yes. Yes. Uh, Esther Perel says, uh, be the affair partner. Mm. Ah, yeah. Be the affair partner, right? Yeah. And I love, you know, if we look at affairs, I think I think monogamous people can, you know, learn a lot yeah. from affairs and how to in, in, in make the the relationship with their partners more uh, vital, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, I didn't. I think I talk about this in the book. You know, again, we euphemistically use the words closeness and intimacy. And they're, we, we use them interchangeably, but they're very different, right? Closeness is low risk, low anxiety, high predictability, comfort, and familiarity, yeah. right? Intimacy, on the other hand, is high risk, high anxiety, low predictability, newness, novelty. Think of first dates. Think of affairs, right? Mm. But intimacy burns very, 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 very hot. And so you can't sustain it very long. You need some the coolness of closeness if you want a long-term relationship with someone. But the failure of a lot of monogamous people is that they um, allow that closeness to come in like a, an invasive vine, mm. and it pushes out intimacy right? Until you have a couple who end up just being roommates, mm-hmm. right? Who are that passing you know, ship in the night. There's so much familiarity, but that, that, that mystery, that, that uh, high risk, high anxiety, and it doesn't have to be out there. It can be just in fantasy, imagining that I'm, <laughs> I'm that, that crush that my partner has, mm-hmm. right? You know, fantasy is a wonderful way of infusing some of that that energy into uh, the relationship, and mm. I think particularly for women, uh, where uh, 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 for a lot of uh, of women, the role goes from being woman to being mom, mm. right? And it happens. I think it can happen for men too. This kind of role shift where they're no longer seeing each other as sexual objects. Right. And again, in our society, we think of, of objectification as 100% wrong. We think of it as totally wrong when, in fact, objectification is an important part of eroticism. You mm. need to have a, a objectification. Now, nobody wants to be only objectified. Yeah. Right. But this mm-hmm. idea of being an objective object 
and and perceiving your partner as an objective object. I'm sorry, as a as an um, sexual object, as an erotic object, is essential to having that that what I call the the fire of desire. Yeah, desire, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel like that. You, you see that too. I mean, it makes sense with like um you know with uh like going from like like partner to like the mom you, you, i think you see that too with like you know when when partners go through uh like a health scare so it's like mm-hmm. your partner now turns into a caregiver, caregiver right. and and there's a there's a big shift there you know um but to the the objectification piece i mean i i love nothing more than when i'm in the kitchen cooking for my girlfriend and like she'll walk past me towards the bathroom and just like squeeze my butt, you know, or like, or something like that. I, I love that. It's, it's, it's like, Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> I like this. Nice. Um, Dr. Tom Murray, the, uh, the book again, folks, uh, making nice with naughty an intimate an intimacy guide for the rule following organized perfectionist practical and color within the line types. Um, it's available now. Uh, I take it wherever you get your books, Amazon, That's exactly right. uh, paperback is the paperback version out now. It, it's yes. uh, available. Sweet. Amazing. Um, really, really, really cool stuff. Like, I mean, this is just a, a very interesting take on, um, uh, you know, dysfunction within a sexual relationship, something that I've never thought about, but now going forward, I'm never going to unsee it, uh, which, which I think is great. Like that's, that's, this is the dragon that we're constantly chasing on this podcast is to find stuff that we, we just never really thought about. And this is a really neat take on, uh, on that exact thing. So, uh, thank you so much for taking your time to sit down with us and chat with us about this today. Um, Tom, where can people find you? Where can people keep up to to date with the work that you do? Thanks. Uh, they can uh, visit me at my website at drtommurray.com or on Instagram at drtommurray and now on TikTok at Real Dr. Tom Murray. All Yay. right. Yeah. Take the Zoomers out there. Listen up. You know where to go. Uh, <laughs> thank Tom, you so thank much. you so much. This has been a real, real treat. Thank you for having me. Real joy, too. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And, uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to, so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on. Uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turnmeonpodcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that. Sex toy. <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself?
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.